Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and L Talk, Legacy Food and L Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and L Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and L Talks is now Change Maker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food and Health Talks. On this episode, we'll continue our conversation on sustainability and plant-based food innovation with someone who is an advocate and an investor in plant-based food. She's Elizabeth Alfano, the CEO of VecTech Invest and the advisor to the world's first and only plant-based innovation ETF. Elizabeth is a plant-based um, industry expert. She speaks globally on the intersection of sustainability and our global food supply system um, innovation as a whole, including recently she spoke at the UN Global Leaders Compact Summit. And um, she's had an extensive career at Kellogg's, working on Special K Frosted Mini Wheats. And she's also the CEO of Plant Pod Consulting, where she advises multinationals and C-suite executives on the industry landscape, direction, and white spaces. Uh, she also hosts a own plant-based business podcast, uh, which features CEOs and thought leaders in the industry as well. Elizabeth, it's great to have you here today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Elizabeth, I was reading through your bio and you've accomplished so much. You've worked in different sectors and uh, you've been successful in many endeavors. And it would be great to learn more about you, your story and how you got to where you are today. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with our audience? Mm -hmm. Sure thing. Happy to talk about it. Do you want me to go way, way back? Yeah, way back fine. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm going. I'm going to the way, way back. So, as a kid, my earliest memory as a kid is that I couldn't eat meat. I couldn't chew it. I couldn't, you know. Obviously, I didn't know anything about factory farms. Five years old, and that's about the the, the time that we're talking about. Five, six years old. But I just, I couldn't do it. The fat, the gristle, the whole thing. I was just repulsed. Well, my parents, who love me, I love them back. There's no problem. They were just panicking, you know, our kid's going to die. Our kid won't have protein. You know, the common misconceptions and, and misunderstandings that people have. So they they said, you know, young lady, you cannot leave this table until you eat everything on your plate, including all the meat that you don't want. Because I would eat everything else. And I wasn't joking around. I really couldn't do it. So I'd be there three, four hours by myself. And everybody would leave the table that go have a family fun time in front of the TV. I wouldn't be allowed to participate. And I started, you know, missing out. And so I started hiding meat everywhere, like in my pants pockets and in the garbage and underneath the radiator. 
And then of course my parents found me for lying and then they really punished me and sent me to my room. And so my memory is that we have to eat meat. We were sort of have no choice. We're kind of forced to eat meat. So fast forward, I'm an adult way into my twenties. I, I have this idea that we have to eat meat, but I still don't know why. And by now I know about factory farms and I, I really don't want to eat meat. So I just, I'm uncomfortable with the whole thing. And I remember like in my twenties and thirties saying to people like, you know, I didn't know anything about cheese then, but I did know about meat. And I was like, Hey, you know, do we have to get the pepperoni pizza? Can't we just get like no pepperoni? And everyone would be, you know, in today's world, I think we'd call it bullying. You know, they'd be like, well, you tree hugger and making fun of me for standing up for animals. And I thought, wait a minute, is this what it means to be an adult? We do that, which we know is wrong. And we go ahead and do it anyway. And then if someone tries to do the right thing, we bully them or make fun of them. Like I could not wrap my mind around what the heck was going on. Later, fast forward, now I'm in my 40s. I still haven't made heads and tails of like what's going on with people. My nephew, who's an athlete who plays American on the American football team for the University of Oregon, which is a very big college football team. He comes back first semester after going to college and he says, hey, Coach says, if I'm going to play for the team, no meat, no dairy. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it all along. I knew it and I couldn't verbalize it. I was, you know, vegan mid-sentence. Um, by that time in my career, because I'm way into my 40s, I had already worked for the Kellogg company. I was um, and IBM, actually. So at Kellogg, I was the brand manager on Frosted Mini Wheats and um uh, special K. And then I really decided that I had more of an entrepreneurial spirit. I started a company. I had a nice positive exit. I had been uh, moving into venture investing and I had some time. So I picked up journalism as a hobby. So, you know, now I'm in my forties, I have all this skill set as an adult. And I realized, okay, I am not going to use any of my business skills or my journalism skills on anything other than going plant-based. So I switched over to plant-based consulting and plant-based um, journalism. I have a podcast myself, the Plant-Based Business Hour. Um, and in the consulting, I would consult with large multinationals in the plant-based space, as well as small startups. And I realized, hey, there's a white space here in the plant-based sector. And that is Wall Street, this huge, enormous sector of public markets with a lot of capital, doesn't know anything about plant-based innovation. They, they know that there's electric vehicles to help the planet. They know that there's alternative energy to help the planet and that their clients want to invest for a better planet, but they didn't know that you could invest in plant-based innovation for a better planet and better health for people and better health for animals. So we launched EATV, the VegTech Plant-Based Innovation uh, and Climate ETF, EATV, on Wall Street, on the, the public markets last December, and we are the world's only plant-based innovation ETF. And in this way, we are a completely new impact class, investment class. So people can uh, impact the environment by investing in alternative energy, in electric vehicles, and in plant-based innovation. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so um interesting to see how as a child you had you had that inclination towards a particular um dietary pattern without any knowledge of any sort about benefits or, or the lack thereof of um, of any of that particular diet so one of the things i want to know is did you study finance at some point or how did you 
because make that switch. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So I did do an MBA. And um, in between my time at IBM and the Kellogg company, I did an MBA and I had, you know, after I left fortune 500 companies and started my own company, of course, I needed to run the finance department as run as well as every other department. And of course I had people working for me with my own company, but still you really need to know the financial aspects. In addition, I've always done all the investing for my family. So not just my parents, but also my siblings and my nieces and nephews. And so for um, three generations of people in my family. So that's my financial background. Then of course, I, I don't do Eat V alone. I have a fund manager. So he did his PhD at Stanford, master's with um, Harvard and Northeastern. And he is more focused on business analyses, time series analysis. He also has a family office and he invests for that family office. So he's He's the fund manager. I'm the CEO and the voice and the marketing and um, so much of the communication strategy. And together we work on the investment strategy, but he's the one, Dr. Sasha Goodman, who is in front of a computer 24 seven working those algorithms and numbers and research. That's that's really interesting. That's, that's good to know. Thanks so much for sharing about you. So let's talk about the food industry. Um, they, of course, they, there's, there's so much to talk about, um, especially with, uh, the investment patterns we've seen, which was a plant-based um, um, alternative protein sources, and it's just an exciting time in that industry right now. Personally, I think the food industry as a whole is in transition. People mm -hmm. are changing the way a perspective, consumer perspective is shifting. So that is impacting the market and that is definitely going to shift the future of food. So let's talk a little bit about um, plant-based innovation as a whole. Um, what are those problems, those challenges that we're facing that makes it very crucial for us to take this space very seriously? Mm -hmm. So what are the problems that we're facing as a global food supply system currently? Right. Well, the major problem, and there's so many, uh, we have about 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet and we're going to about 10 billion people, 9.8, according to the United Nations by 2050. But we're not getting more land and we're not getting more water. So as we look at how we create food today, which is primarily animal-based, we look at the inefficiency of our food system and how animal agriculture takes 42% of our clean water. It takes 77% of our agricultural land. So let's just sit with that statistic for a second. It takes 77% of our agricultural land to grow all the crops for the 80 billion animals on the planet. And we just said we had 7.7 .7 billion people. So we have 10 times more factory animals, animals in factories, 10 times more than we have people on the planet. Now you start to understand the scale of what we're talking about. This is why we have to cut down so many trees to grow the crops, to grow <clears throat> food that has fiber and protein. Are we giving that food to people? No, we're giving it to animals. Animals need more land, water, time, cut down more trees. So you see that 77% of our agricultural land is used to grow crops and graze animals, but only gives us 18% of our calories. Very inefficient equation. So we're gonna need to use our land and our water much more efficiently if we're going to have enough resources to create enough food for a growing population. 
So, um, you know, as we have climate change, it puts more pressure on our water supply, for example. So it, it's really that the entire system is ripe for disruption because we're so wasteful in how we produce food right now. And we could be smarter about it and get, because ultimately this is the task. We have to create more food, more nutritiously, using fewer resources in a shorter amount of time, creating less damage. That's the problem at hand. And the joy is, the, the good news is, this is what business does really well. It addresses a problem by solving it at scale. So here we are to disrupt the global food supply system by better innovating, to better utilize our resources so that we can indeed not only feed more people, but not implode the planet in the process. The goal is really to understand what are other things that people are doing to improve the products we're seeing in on the shelf and also what are some policies that in place that will guide and shape our innovation in this new uh, space is going as well so that's I, if i can because this is really so fascinating right this is what we're here to talk about in a way um so i would i would push back and i i would say that um plant-based is going to be healthier than factory farmed meat which is what everybody eats right now is it as healthy as it can be? Is, is it as good as it can be? No, therein lies the excitement. And a lot of what we do um, with Eat V, which has 41 companies that are innovating at some part of the supply chain to make these products better. That's what our um, financial ETF does um, that people can invest in. Um, so the innovation curve is just beginning for plant-based. So you're seeing Beyond Meat is also doing the same thing. It's it's lowering its saturated fat content, they're lowering their sodium content, you know, innovation just beginning for this very nascent sector. Whereas, you know, animal agriculture, we haven't changed it in like 4,000 years. It really has reached the end of its innovation curve. So um, I, I think it's very hopeful and very exciting. But I'll also say, in addition to that, you know, the consumer does play a role in this. Sometimes the consumer doesn't want healthy. They go to the birthday party and they have every intention of eating birthday cake with frosting, maybe twice. I mean, sometimes every time you go to get a regular meat burger, at least in the United States, you have the option side salad or side fries. Everyone chooses fries. So you've given them the healthy option. You've given them and they voluntarily knowing full well, always go for the French fries. So you know, you can lead a horse to water, but can't make it drink. The consumer here has to take some responsibility, even if they can't cook at home, which of course would be the healthiest. You know, sometimes they say, I just want a burger and I just want it to be fatty. And you know, we can't, we can't, you know, um, we're not here to take away people's choice. Sure. We're here to give them more choices. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's my sentiment. Exactly. I, I strongly believe that our, our goal is just to create um, better options, whether it's um, plant-based or whether it's um, healthier beverage on the shelves, better options for people to choose. It's, it all still boils down to people making that choice. So let's move on. Let's Can I say one more thing though? Because I think this will go maybe shift a tad bit from business and go maybe to government policy. I think the way that businesses advertise, I see so many meat advertisements saying that it's healthy. And we all know that, you know, these are lifestyle diseases based on um, you know, diabetes and heart disease and even colorectal cancer. You know, they, they're they all um, mitigated if you take out meat from your diet, particularly processed meats, but all kinds of meats. 
So I see lots of industry advertising that I don't think is very informational. It's maybe misguided. I'd love to see nutrition come back to primary schools, you know, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, because nobody knows about food anymore. They have no sense to how to touch it, how to cook, how to make it at home. Um, high school would be the, what we call high school in the United States would be the very, very last moment. I think it should be like sixth, seventh, eighth grade to teach about nutrition, where fiber comes from, where protein comes from, what foods are healthy so people can make choices for themselves. Right now, they're just receiving advertisements from all sides and they just don't know enough to actually choose the right choice for themselves. That's that's so true. That's absolutely true. And, um, and that's one of the things we're doing. Um, uh, we, I will show you something when we get off the, when we, when we're done with this recording. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree with you that there's a need for us to educate our students mm. about food and health. When they start early, just like you were saying, you had some ignition when you were really young and yeah. gathered your choices later on and see how it shaped your career as well. So yeah, uh, kids need to know at a very early age that their choices matter and it shapes um, their future health outcomes as well. So 100%. Um, yeah, actually there was this data published on CDC that in US schools, we, we provide students less than eight hours of nutrition education every um, every year compared to like 40 to 50 that they could get for a well-rounded education. So it's something that can be that can be improved. Yeah, I have so, a, oh, okay, so, so sorry, this is just a factoid very fast. I have a much worse stat than that. In medical school in the United States, doctors get four hours or less of nutrition. So people usually say, well, I don't know, but I'll ask my doctor. Guess what? They don't know either because they didn't study it. It's mind boggling. It is. It is. It is. And and to your point, we had um, when the, the White House listening sessions that we had, we had a physician who happens to be a chef as well. Um, and she came on the show and one of the recommendations uh, on the on the session and she one of the recommendations she made was education should be part of healthcare training in the U.S. Because when people have concerns, they go to their doctor, they talk to their doctor. And if the doctor does not know, they can't share. You know, they can only share what they know. So, yeah, she... Or worse, uh, sometimes they share and they don't know. They say like, well, I don't know, everybody else told me meat's good, so I'll tell you meat's good. But it's completely anecdotal based on nothing except a meat ad they saw. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Anyway, that's, um. yeah, so let's move on to the next question. Let's talk a little bit more about your investment and your, your what you're doing, the innovation you're creating um, in this space. Let's talk more about that. Yeah, so it is very exciting, I will say. Um, so when we created EatV, which is the world's first plant-based innovation ETF, and for those who don't know, an ETF is an exchange-traded fund. What that means is it's a basket. So just like if you go to the grocery store and you put a bunch of things in your basket, you have a very diverse set of foods when you get home. You've got probably 40 plus foods. Well, we've got the same thing. We've got this basket of publicly traded companies. We've got 41 companies right now, so always over 40. Um, and all of these companies are focused only on innovating with plants to create animal-free products for sustainable consumption 
up and down the supply chain. So that might be early in ag tech, you know, working on vertical farms and greenhouses, or that might be at the um, innovation stage with precision fermentation at cultivated meat and 3D printed plant-based meats at, at your home. This kind of innovation that gets licensed out to other companies for their growth. Then we have ingredient companies, then we have flavor and texture companies that are working to make these products really taste good for people. And then you have the consumer product at the end that you might recognize the brand that's on the shelf. So we have, just to give you a, a sense, up and down the supply chain, like I just mentioned, um, from around the world, over 40 companies that are innovating to replace animal products for sustainable consumption. And when I say sustainable consumption, I mean, not just products that are better for you, as we discussed, but also that are, you know, produced more efficiently so that we can feed a growing population with fewer resources. So these plant-based goods take less water, less land, less time, um, less tree deforestation, less pandemic risk, um, better health profile, all these kinds of things. So we are the first and only ETF fund on Wall Street, the, the public markets, um, to have this kind of focus. And it's been a pure joy. I really can't say anything else except the word joy. To bring this kind of education to Wall Street, they too don't know anything about nutrition and our global food supply system. They don't know how the food supply system is negatively impacting the climate because animal agriculture is responsible for 14.5% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, a whopping 37% of all the humanly induced methane comes from animal agriculture. You will not sufficiently impact climate change if you don't address animal agriculture. So um, they're very excited about a new impact ESG class that they can you know, share with their clients. So their clients can, you know, a lot of people, they take it very seriously, impact investing. They want to not just change their diet, but they want to change the world for their kids and their grandkids. And they want to start investing for a better, healthier planet. A lot of people want to invest for a changing uh, food supply system and they can do that with Eat Bee. That's really great. Um, so uh, it's, it's for me, it's always great when I have an opportunity to learn about uh, impact investing in ways like this. I mean, it's unique. You, you hear about impact investing in um, different sectors, but seeing it come alive, um, here in this plant-based innovation and climate space is, is really exciting. So what do you see in the next few years? What do you envision the future will look like? Where is this going? Well, I think it's really interesting. You're seeing governments around the world start to invest and spend on R&D. Yes. And I think that R&D and kind of infrastructure, you know, more um, universities building plants that can produce more um, product, et cetera. So I think you're seeing a lot of R&D, which might maybe even trickles down to infrastructure of the, of the system for more production. So that's fascinating. I think you're gonna see a lot more meat companies get involved. So already you have things like Hormel, Tyson, Kellogg's, JBS. Um, these are companies that would never ever be in our fund because they produce meat and <laughs> causing the major problems that we have on the planet. But um, I think they're gonna start to change their tune because from a financial perspective, it's very risky as carbon pricing is probably coming a very risky position to be 
as you know, a major water polluter and a major contributor to greenhouse gases. These are risks that you'd like to get off your books. So I think um, the meat industry itself is going to be open to change in a way that they haven't before because our global crises are so um, palpable. You know, everyone's concerned about greenhouses and gases, and I think that's going to shift that industry. And I think you're just going to see so much innovation coming out of the plant-based sector itself. You're going to see, we talked about in the very beginning, like what's really promising. I think plant-based seafood is really going to take off. Now, um, plant-based chicken is going to catch on more than burgers, even, I think. Um, nuggets and other kinds of um, foods. You know, it's funny, we talked about that health perspective. People want nuggets. Now, nuggets by definition are, you know, fried, you know, people want fried food. I mean, at, at what point do you tell people like, I can give you a healthier version. I can give you plant-based fried food as opposed to meat fried food. So it'll be healthier, but you're still demanding fried food. So, you know, again, that, that nutrition portion um, is so important to help people understand. But um, I think you're going to see a lot more innovation in fermented foods. Now, fermented foods have a natural probiotic benefit. So even before you get into the high technology of precision fermentation, just fermenting foods like you do with sauerkraut and kimchi and, and bread, you know, yeast is fermented, beer is fermented. I, I think you're going to see a lot more of just naturally fermented foods giving labels a better nutritional profile. And I think you're going to see personalized nutrition come into play. But people say, well, my doctor told me that I'm low on vitamin C and D or something, you know, and you're going to be able to create with an app your own nutritional profile for you. I think that's really exciting. That is exciting. And I'm excited to also say that there's some companies that are innovating in that space as well. Actually, I think we maybe like four episodes before um, this month, we had someone uh, she's the founder of um, she's founder of this company where they leverage technology uh, to learn more about you. They manage stress, really. They manage, it's called My Hair. My Hair. Rachel, um, people manage their stress. And how they do that is they use your Apple Watch um, to gather information and data points about you. And then they use that information to determine your stress levels. Then they use that the, info, the information they've got to introduce, to determine the amount of um, stress reducers they will include in your snack. Great. So um, they, they provide snacks, they provide the technology to understand you and they manage it. So the snack contains different things. The ingredients in the snack is different um, at different times. So that's really, it's really exciting. It's new, but it's exciting. Yeah, food as medicine is going to go to the next level. Yes, yes. I'm really excited to hear that. So yeah, um, one, one other thing about this is um, I know you're very um, excited and um, passionate about plant-based um, innovation, but I can't talk to you about this without going a bit more into alternate protein. So we have different innovation in this space, like cultured meat, cultured seafood. And I'd like to get your take on it. What do you think about this area of innovation? I think it is about time. I think it is unfathomable that you would choose, you know, assuming this innovation 
takes off and is scalable. And I believe it will be. And I believe that that's where governments around the world are really investing because as we see this food insecurity issue grow, you know, it's, it's not just that we use our resources poorly, it's that the world is at war, it's that countries don't trade like they used to together, there's all this trade tension. Countries are realizing from a political standpoint that they need to be food independent. Mm. You're seeing countries like Israel, Singapore, Holland all invest heavily into alternative proteins. The U.S. is just starting a little bit behind the behind the curve there, but we're just getting into it. We should be doing more. You can't be in office if you can't feed people. Mm. You will be ousted immediately. So the basic political legitimacy requires food and water for people. Mm -hmm. So governments are starting to spend big and they're spending here, they're spending in cultivated meat because no one has to make a sacrifice. Everybody gets the meat they want. But again, remember we said in the beginning, we are tasked with making more food, more nutritious, using fewer resources in a faster amount of time, creating less damage. And that's what cultivated meat's going to do. It's going to not require all the resources. It's going to be made locally and faster. It's going to have the same nutrition profile, if not better, because you'll be able to add, you know, omega-3s or whatever you'd like to add to the meat if you'd like to do that. And people aren't going to have to sacrifice. They're going to they're going to be able to eat what they've always eaten. And they're very, in the studies that I see, people are very open to cultivated meat. At first they say like, oh, technology in my food, but they quickly get over that when they realize, oh, I don't have to make any sacrifices. Give me my cultivated meat. That's what I see. That's great. That's really great. Glad to hear that. So um, recently it was announced that uh, President Biden uh, will be investing more, or well, leading um, innovation along those lines of cultivated meat as well. So it's good to see um, leaders getting involved in the space, but I want to get your take on that as well. The the new announcement about um, uh, innovating and supporting um, cultured meat and ag tech as well. So again, this idea that countries need to be independent in their food sources. Um, so I think you're going to just see a buildup of more and more um, investment here. And again, I'll take a political lens. I'm not a politician. Um, who's going to lead from a global standpoint? You know, who led 5G? Unfortunately, it wasn't really the US. You know, who's going to lead plant-based innovation? Who's going to lead alternative proteins? I think when the, the US is starting to wrap its mind around like, oh gosh, this is a major global win if we lead the food revolution because you can't have political power without food stability. I think the U.S. is sadly late to the game, but going to catch up because it's going to be just like 5G. Who led 5G? Who's going to lead electrical vehicles? Who's going to read? You know, imagine like in the computer craze. So first you had Apple and IBM and everything, but um, Dell computers. But you also had the semiconductors, the, the part in the computer Who's going to control the semiconductor industry? Who's going to control the electric vehicle battery industry? Can't run an electric vehicle without the battery. So who's going to have that technology? It's like this. Who's going to control alternative proteins? Right. The U.S. had better, or the, or, you know, the leading, you know, do you want it to be Russia, China, or, you know, <laughs> the U.K. or the U.S.? Okay. So that um, the U.S. has been a little bit behind. <laughs> because, you know, Holland and China is very focused on this. China said it about six or eight months ago, 10 months ago, in their five-year agricultural plan that they would be focused on cultivated meat. Now, nothing's going to make the U.S. get 
with the program faster than China saying it's going. Into <laughs> yes. So I, I see this. It's crazy. I, it's it's really wonderful. Yes. And I'm over the moon. Mm-hmm. I'm over the moon. Yeah. It's very smart politically. It's very smart. It is. And it's about time. Anything that supports innovation. I, I'm really, I'm really excited about how um, President Biden has taken the lead in terms of supporting um, the food system as a whole and building a better food system. Because I remember they, they're having the first um, White House conference in 50 years this year. So it's good to see this headline as well. Not not um, trying to get much into politics. Let's just leave that aside. But I just wanted to uh, mention that as well. So the future is exciting for plant-based innovation, for alternative protein cultivated meat. And um, we're looking forward to what the future brings. Do you think we'll see this um, also included in... Um, ETFs anytime soon? Oh, yes, it's already in. It, okay. it, uh, well, I, let me make sure that I understand your um, question in full. Uh, so in our ETF, so we're the only ETF, you know, focused on the public markets in plant-based innovation. And when we say plant-based innovation, what we mean is innovating with plants and plant-derived ingredients okay. to create animal-free products for sustainable consumption. We say, well, cultivated meat, how is that plant-based innovation It is because the cells only grow with sugar water, sugar cane, and you, you you know, you have to grow the cells in a controlled scenario. That's what cultivated meat is. And it grows with sugar. Otherwise it won't grow as you um, give it amino acids and sugar. And that that's the main feed is sugar. So it is actually, not only is it an animal replacement, it is based on plant-based derivatives and ingredients. So um, very much cultivated meat is in the eat VETF. Um, it's a company out of Israel called Stakeholder Foods, and they are very focused on cultivated meat. Now, much cultivated meat today, prior to a lot of government spending, is still in its infancy and will probably take eight years to get to market such that somebody in Nebraska can buy it, you know. So we're looking at, you know, kind of a, a, a little while, but the more R&D that goes into it, the faster that might get to market. So we're still a little ways away, but as I'd said, Israel, the Netherlands, Singapore, China, all investing heavily in this. And there is a public company, Stakeholder Foods, um, focused on cultivated meat and they're in EV. So that's great to know. Thank you so much uh, for making time to connect, share your story, share what you're working on, what you're passionate about. And, um, and it's, it's just good to learn more about how we're making the, the, the community and the world around us a better place. And thanks for your work as well. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. If anybody has any questions, because we talked about so many major topics around the world today, greenhouse gases, food insecurity, political legitimacy, oh my gosh, health and nutrition. Um, just come find me on LinkedIn. Sure. Yes, and for sure. And we'll definitely put your links, the link to your website, the links to your social platforms, in the show notes as well. And for everyone listening, thank you for connecting with us and listening to this episode. And until the next time, when I bring another exceptional guest your way, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel, share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.